This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Thank you for listening. So my um, my sister-in-law, I have, not, I have eight siblings-in-law, right? My wife is one of nine. And I have eight siblings-in-law, and uh, well, on my wife's side, and then obviously my brother's uh, wife makes, I guess technically I have nine total, but eight on my through my wife. They were all raised evangelical Christian, but a few years ago, my sister-in-law, Deborah decides to uh, become an observant Jew, and now she's an Orthodox Jew. So, and she's been Orthodox for a couple of years now. Okay. So she po- she's told me this story before, and I was reminded because she posted about this on Facebook the other day, and I'm going to po- read you her post ex- exactly as it is. And then I would love to hear you weigh in on this. But again, this is the perspective of someone that grew up as a Christian and is now leading the life as a as an observant Jew. So, Deborah writes, I went on a tour of Auschwitz, and they have a food court for visitors, not kosher. Anyway, who has an appetite there? You know what they were serving? Brick oven pizza. I kid you not. The worst possible thing you could serve there. So my question for you is a two-part one, because I looked into this, and it's true. There is a food court at Auschwitz, and they do serve, among other things, brick oven pizza. I Multi-part question, because I talked to my wife about this. I asked what you... I asked, you know, what you, um, what she, her opinion was, and what she said was, well, you know, I think it's inappropriate to even have a food court there. But if you do have a food court, I don't think it's a big deal that they serve brick oven pizza. Uh, just obviously, I think what Deborah was saying was because met so many Jews were put into ovens and killed in ovens that maybe it was a little bit of an insensitive choice to actually have a menu item that has 
oven in the in the title. So, um, and that's kind of where I am. I don't think a food court is appropriate. Again, I don't know the logistics. Maybe if people are um, taking long bus rides there and there's no other restaurants anywhere near there, pe- the, th- the feeling is people are going to need to eat something, and maybe that's why there's a food court there. Remember, there was a, a similar argument about sensitivity at the 9-11 Museum when they chose to have a gift shop and a lot of people were saying it's inappropriate to have, um, you know, a gift shop at basically what's a memorial. Auschwitz is the same thing. And my wife was saying, well, look, it's really not right to have a food court at this, you know, at what is basically a cemetery. Or it's even even much more morbid than a cemetery because it's actually where people died. It's not just where people's remains are. So I'd love to know from you... One, what you think of the fact that they have a food court at a concentration camp. Two, because a lot of the visitors are likely to be Jewish, like my sister-in-law is. Do you think that they should have kosher options at the food court? According to Deborah, there were no kosher options. And then uh, lastly, and this is where I part company from her, I don't agree that brick oven pizza is insensitive. I think, you know, we're not going to allow the Nazis to claim brick oven pizza. Brick oven pizza is a description of a very specific type of pizza. So do you agree with her that brick oven pizza is an inappropriate menu choice? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. That is the three-part question. A question... Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. Most of the people that uh, that commented on Deborah's Facebook page, they agreed with her. They did think that, uh, at least most of the people that commented, they did think that it was insensitive. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. And I just happened to read... Because I checked this out online, and I read an article by uh, Paul Salmons, uh, who basically said that visitors are visibly shaken, that locals can grab a bit of fast food just 100 yards from where tens of thousands of people starve to death. So for many people, this discovery, meaning the discovery of a food court that serves pizza, can seem to defile the sacred space of their pilgrimage. I kind of get that. I kind of get that. So I uh, I don't know. I don't think a food court is appropriate. But if there is a food court, I don't think that brick oven pizza should be verboten. Does that make sense? Hope so. All right. 800-848-9222. If you want to comment, that's 800 848 Got an interesting show tomorrow. You know, there was a lot of interest in the Martin Luther King assassination, both not only today, but yesterday when I brought it up. So we have someone on tomorrow um, that's going to talk to us a little bit about it. He does believe, as I do, quite honestly, that there was an assassination. There was a conspiracy to assassinate Martin Luther King Jr. That's a writer, investigator named Donald Jeffries. He's going to be here. And uh, Ambassador Peter Ford, who was the British ambassador to both Syria and Bahrain, 
he's going to join us as well. And given the fact that the tensions in the Middle East only seem to be getting worse, and given the fact that he's pretty experienced when it comes to the Middle East, he's someone that uh, I, whose perspective I always enjoy, but I'm very much especially looking forward to talking with him this week with everything that's happening there, because there's a lot of tension in Iraq, Iran, Syria, and obviously with respect to Yemen. All right, 800-848-9222. My sister-in-law didn't like that there were no kosher options at the food court at Auschwitz, and she especially didn't like that there was brick oven pizza. I hear her on the food court aspect of it. I am not with her at all on the brick oven pizza. What do you think? 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Pamela is in New Jersey. Hi, Pamela. Hi. Um, I don't think of the food as a frivolous thing. You know, when people travel, they're tourists, they've come a long way. Uh, some people get emotional when they go there, uh, and it can bring on a hypoglycemic attack. Mm. And, and pizza is a quick carb that can bring you around. And, uh, you know, juices or whatever. I, I don't find it as a frivolous thing. I find it as something that they found they need it. People probably faint it. You know, when people are, uh, I know I was in the chorus in school, and they would warn us about fainting and, and everything. People, you know, get emotional. And uh, so I don't think there's anything wrong with it. You know, it's a, it's a good point that you raise, because I read this one article, and it it ended with, how many feet outside of Auschwitz would it be appropriate to have that slice of pizza? And I don't have an answer for that. I, I just, there is something that just seems a little, I don't know, a little insensitive to having a food court right there. But you're right. I mean, let's say someone is uh, not only hypoglycemic, but let's say someone is a diabetic. Or let's say they're, uh, they packed a lunch and the lunch got ruined for some reason. Somebody spilled something on it or, or somebody vomited on it. Um, you know, okay, maybe, maybe it's not as insensitive as, uh, as I was thinking. You've given me, yeah, you give, you've given me, I think, a new pers- perspective, Pamela, as you so often do. Oh, thank you. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Sandra is in Brooklyn. Uh, Sandra, what do you think of this? I think it's totally insensitive for them to have a food court there, unless they want to serve just water and stale bread. But brick oven pizza, I'm sorry. That's atrocious. Both of it is atrocious. What do you make of what um, Pamela said, that? Sometimes people become very overcome with emotion. You might have situations where people are fainting. They may be experiencing bouts of hypoglycemia, and they need to be able to eat something. What do you make of what she said? I think those people who have hypoglycemia probably have food with them, or somebody else would have. Um, I still feel it's totally inappropriate because that's a crematorium. and. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, people died they're trying to live on scraps of food that, that they were able to get. Yeah, well, again, um, that's that's kind of where what my initial reaction was, and then uh, and that's kind of that's a, you know that that's kind of w- what I was thinking as soon as my wife said that. But I'm listening to Pamela. I'm thinking, all right, maybe I'm not being. Maybe I'm not being sensitive to people's different nutritional needs or different health needs. Maybe there should be some food close by. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I hear what Pamela's saying. I do. 800-848-9222. Joe in 
Queens. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, I agree with the hypoglycemia as one part. And also if people say, for example, they are joggers where they went for an hour jog before they went on the bus and the tour, sometimes that causes like a, a, a sugar depletion uh, where uh, you hit a low glucose just from, you know, even if it's at a, like say the hotel in the gym and they're jogging on a treadmill and, and that can cause a real problem where uh, uh, it's difficult. And then I think the overall context is it, it could be seen as insensitive to brick oven, uh, a brick oven uh, pizza, uh, but uh, that's the name of it in every other context. And I think the overall context is, for example, the mid Midway Beach, what are you going to do? I mean, it was horrific what happened there, but are you going to close the beach forever and be solemn about it? Or go to, let's go to Japan, Hiroshima, Nagasaki. Uh, what are you going to do, like uh, not do anything in the place as horrific as that was? Uh, it, there's, how much solemnity can you have uh, all these years later? Uh, as you widen the context of all the horrors everywhere from that war, you know? Well, and and that's the thing that I don't have an answer for. Maybe some things are so atrocious that in certain places they remain uh, forever free of being uh, tourists or, or, you know, or having commerce there. You see what I'm saying? I, I mean, I don't know what, what, where the line gets drawn. Right, but we had submarines right off of uh, the beaches here. Uh, that could have been, say something did happen on the beaches, would you close the Rockaways forever? Say, say the submarines mm. did, you know, what would you do then? And not yeah. have a hot dog stand on the, uh, forever? Yeah, I, I, don't, uh, I don't have a good answer uh, for you, Joe. It's just this, thanks, Joe. You know, I hear what you and... Pamela are saying about the food, and you might have won me over. There's just something that just seems so unseemly about having a food court or a pizza shop there. It just, it just doesn't seem in keeping with the gravity. You know, here's why I think your comparison fails a bit, because people are going to Auschwitz to see it as a concentration camp. They're not going to, in your scenario of the hypothetical of something happens at, uh, I think you said Rockaway Beach, something tragic happens at Rockaway Beach, people aren't going there to visit it as tourists to see the site of something atrocious at Rockaway Beach. They're going there with the intention of going to the beach. No one is going to this pizza shop at Auschwitz because they want to try this great brick, great brick oven pizza. They might stop in there because they happen to be at Auschwitz. You see, I think that's the difference, is there's a solemnity to an Auschwitz visit that is different than, than elsewhere. 800-848-9222. Rich in Manhattan, what do you think? Um, I think it is totally inappropriate. Food court close to the place. Um, not a good thing. Food is a celebration. Food is this. The hypoglycemia, you know, take care of yourself. If you get, if you tend to be hypoglycemic, make sure you carry food with you. The thing that I was trying to think, what could be 
comparable from a Christian point of view. And this is kind of, I almost have a hard time saying it, but what if they had a food court at the site of Jesus's crucifixion and they sold hot cross buns? So you I think, don't see how that's any different. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, so I, I really think about hot cross buns at the site of Jesus's crucifixion. What's yeah. the difference? Well, uh, no. They killed all those Jews in ovens. So your, it, your problem is both the fact that there's a food court there and yeah, the that, choice that, of menu. One. Both. Yeah, yeah, and brick oven, yeah, yeah, I don't care what they serve, frankly. Uh, you know, yeah. I don't care what they serve. And uh, even the issue of the kosher doesn't matter to me. It just shouldn't. Have a food court there. There's food yeah. everywhere else. Yeah, and again, that's uh, that's uh, that's more or less where I started. But I'm thinking maybe I'm not. I don't know. Maybe I'm not being sensitive enough to people who have specific nutritional needs, right? I mean, especially the elderly. And you have wanted to go and see Auschwitz for a long time. You're in your late 80s, your early 90s, and maybe because of the emotional factor that Pamela mentions. Maybe you get weak. You maybe you you don't have the constitution for the emotional toll of that. Maybe you do faint. I mean, is it the worst thing to have some food to you know help someone regain their strength? Again, I, I, I Pamela has changed my mind. I was saying you know don't think it's appropriate, but then Pamela said, "All right, you got all these situations where maybe you might have someone that needs some food." Uh, Elias, what do you think? What's your view? Listen, I come from a, uh, I come from a, from a family that uh, escaped the Holocaust in Poland, and you know, well, part one, uh, it's it's hard. Kosher food is hard to come by in Poland already. It's you know, it's kind of the poor capital of uh, of Europe. But you know, they should try and cater a little bit. But um, honestly, I think the concession stand is okay as long as it's you know raising money for the site, keeping it in you know the same condition as it was uh, eighty or so years ago, and and just making sure that. Uh, the memories of the people there are not forgotten, and as long as the brick oven pizza, you know, listen, you're not going to Poland for pizza, so you know it, it is what it is. But I, what I don't do think you it think? Intentional. I, I, I don't either, right? I can't imagine that somebody that's going to uh, have a uh, a pizza shop adjacent to Auschwitz is going to go out of their way to intentionally offend anybody. But um, what about that choice of menu item? Should they have maybe just called it? Pizza, let's say. Oh, so so the wording was brick well, oven. Well, I pizza. see. I didn't see it myself. Right. That was that was what my sister in law said. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not certain. Well, yeah, I, I think they could have been a little bit more sensitive. I also, I mean, I'm not sure about. I, I assume everybody there is fluent in English, and you know, you know, menu translation has been is iffy in many different countries. But uh, yeah. Mm. Uh, I'm I'm kind of a little indifferent. It's hard it's hard to kind of tell, but but I, I get I get why people can be offended. All right. Well, th- uh, yeah. No, I do too. I do too. A- absolutely. All right. You know, it's funny. There's um there's a, a comedian or a novelist by the name of Jerry Stahl, and I, just as I was just researching this subject to see who else had written about it, he wrote about it, and he wrote a memoir, um about the what he called the twisted snack bar at Auschwitz. This is from Jerry Stahl's book. Quote, I wanted to walk on the ground where my people were murdered, where the worst that can happen happened. I get there, ready for this experience at Auschwitz, 
And the first thing I see is the Auschwitz snack bar, which is people having a little nosh, a little post-oven nibble of pizza and Fanta. And I just thought, well, you wanted to see humanity, so there is humanity. So, uh, so some of the guests at the camp are dressed like they're visiting, according to him, an amusement park, and others are goofing around and texting. He says that the strange disconnect between the horrific events that took place at these sites and the present-day reality of the tourism industry lends them to a strange kind of humor, is what Stahl says. I have nothing but respect and empathy and soul-crushing sadness. You're not really in hell. You're in a museum of hell. And however I think people should behave, if they want to show up in short shorts and a Megadeth t-shirt, that's just how it is, man. That's what he says. Um... In this, uh, in this book, which I had been unfamiliar with until today. 800-848-9222. Gino in Brooklyn. What do you think, man? Oh, man, you got so many ideas that you just spurred. Uh, well, for one, if you've been to any of these sites, like 9-11, I- I'm familiar with it. I lived through it. I worked through it. I had dear friends that died there. It took me four hours to get to the museum. And I know most of the stuff that was there. Four hours. Like, why not have a refreshment while or the opportunity to have a refreshment while you're there? You know, same thing with Dachau. I've been to the Dachau concentration camp. It wasn't inappropriate. These people are out of their minds. And you know what's inappropriate? I went to the Sphinx in Egypt. I went to the Egyptian pyramids. I stood in front of the Sphinx. If you turn around, right, because you see it looks like you're in this vast desert. You know what's right across the street from the Sphinx? A KFC. Right? That's that's inappropriate to me. Why do we have a KFC within like spitting distance of the of the place? Well, but, but why do we even have why do we have concessions in movie theaters? People can't sit still for two hours. Well, come on, that's a that's a little different. Wait, 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 Gina, that's that's why a little. Have, different. Why do we have bathrooms on, on Niagara Falls? There's plenty of rushing water there. Why do we even? Bother? No, come on, come on, Gino. You no, you're being a little silly here, right? I mean, how can you? Com- I am being silly, but keep it in perspective. It takes hours to get through these places. Right. Hours. Okay. Right. So I mean, I think. Uh, um, like I was saying, I think uh, Pamela has uh, kind of convinced me that maybe uh, I was oversimplifying the the idea of, oh, that's so terrible that you have a, a food court at this place. But, you know, the reality is, as you point out, some of these people travel great differences, uh, great distances, and uh, they need to eat. Gino, thank you. Um, you know, I'm just looking now. There is a documentary. I have not seen this, but I'm going to see if I could check it out. It's from 2008. It's called Pizza in Auschwitz, and it's a documentary about concentration camps, but apparently it's pretty funny. It contains a whole lot of jokes, and it's about this one fellow who um, survived five concentration camps and has finally managed to convince his kids to visit the camp with him, and the goal of the trip is to spend a night in Auschwitz in the same barracks where this gentleman once slept. And instead of depicting the many silent witnesses of the horrors that took place at the camp— which is what you know usually do, goes on these documentaries. Instead, they concentrate on the chaotic trip to get there. And I'm assuming that because the title of it, I haven't seen this, but I'm assuming because the title of the film is Pizza in Auschwitz, that maybe there is a reference to this pizza parlor that uh, that my sister-in-law referenced. 800-848-9222. Heidi in the Bronx. What do you think, Heidi? Yeah, hi, Frank. Um I think it's a little insensitive. Um, I don't know. Um, but also, my question is, how can anybody be hungry going there and seeing this? Uh, I don't know. Um, 
I don't know really what to say, but I think it's it, this this brick oven thing is almost it has a little sarcastic touch almost somewhere. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. I mean, to me, it's somehow in. I, I don't know. Maybe they should have. I understand people need to eat. Maybe they have a little bus, a little outside, but I do not think that um, it is. I don't know appropriate. Um, well, you know, again, I know. Heidi, I think. Um, you know, um, my sister-in-law's with you completely on this, and I get what you're saying. I, um, you know, I don't think there's anything innately improper about it being brick oven pizza. I don't think it's sarcastic. I, I just think that's what they're serving. I, I, I don't, but I understand where other people are coming from. All right, if you guys want to, um, if you want to continue to hold, I will get to you after we speak with Noam Layden. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. I was all right for a while. Could smile for a while, but I saw you last night. You held my hand so tight as you stopped to say hello. Oh, you wish me well, you couldn't tell that I've been crying over you. After the hour, this is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Every morning right around this time, we get a little dose, sometimes a large dose, of news. And I hope you are prepared to be informed. Stand by for The Other Side of Midnight's News. From New York City. Side of Midnight and its affiliated stations present national and international news with Frank Morano and news director Noam Layden. Their summary of the world news and personal comments. Get the rest of the story. Noam, a big news day. Iowa, Emmys, football, and quite a bit else. And I'm not going to cover any of those. I love it. Because great. I know you did a great That's job right. doing Thank that Thank you. Well, I did the job that I do. Great in some people's minds. Right. What do you have for us this morning, Noam? We are in a world of content creators. And 
probably something we should get into. We have a good friend right. who is a huge viral star on TikTok, flirty flipper Jill Vital, who has over 2 million followers who watch her just be a kind of a dopey mom. I don't right. know how else to describe yeah, her Yeah, she makes uh, food videos and fart noises. Right. The video, the food stuff has essentially gone away. That's how oh, she really? started. See, now, yeah, now seen. she's like just a crazy, funny mom who okay. does terrible things to her kids. I didn't mean terrible in a funny way. Right, okay. And um, it's two million followers, so she makes a full-time living doing that. She doesn't really need to do else. She has another job, but that is essentially her full-time is creating as much content as she can. And you start to jump in and you see what people can get paid to do. So she gets paid by TikTok. She also gets paid by advertisers who want to have her talk about her product. That's how she makes her money. And then you look around and I'm like, it's really frightening. (laughs) You know, I wasn't going to do this story, but it's just so frightening to see what people are doing to make money online. So there's an organization called the Adult Baby Diaper Lover Organization. Oh, no. Have you ever heard of this before? No. It's not sexual, because I went to look to see if it was something like weird, creepy sexual. Yeah, no, they wouldn't allow it that. It doesn't seem like it is. But it is this woman, Paige, Paige Miller. She lives on the East Coast. She's a content creator. And she says ever since she was a little kid, she's wanted to live like a kid. She never wanted to outgrow that, Mm. including wearing diapers, playing with toys, drinking a bottle with a pacifier, all that. So when she in 2018, she said, you know, I'm just going to Google and see if there's other people out there who are into this kind of thing. And she found like there's a community for everybody. There's a huge community. I mean, I don't mean millions, but thousands of people who would pay to watch her live out their lives, things that they wanted to do. People who are afraid to tell their relatives, hey, I'm into this too. I don't want to do this, but I would pay to watch somebody else do it. So she now has 500 followers that pay her anywhere from 25 to 100 bucks a month to watch her drink from a bottle, sit in a crib, uh, wear diapers, wear baby clothes, say goo goo gaga. And that is her full time job. She wow. is making a full time living being a member of the Adult Baby Diaper Lover Organization Whatever online. works. Yeah. So Not for me. Good for her. It's just so bizarre. You you know, you think about it, all she needs is those 500 people, four or 500 people, and if they're paying a fair amount of money, she doesn't have to do a whole lot else. That's like, you know, I don't know, it's 25 bucks a month, she's making 5,000, something like that, so. Right, and if it's up to $100 a month, then potentially. It's a whole lot more. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Uh, you and I, well, you're, how tall are you? I think I'm about 5'8". Yeah, so I'm 5'6", a towering 5'6". Uh-huh. And I was a basketball player as a kid, played on my high really? school team. Really? Wow. I was uh, too short, though, to dunk the ball. And it was always my fantasy to be able to do that. There have been 5'6 players, Spud Webb comes to mind, who were able to Muggsy dunk Bogues, the ball. Muggsy Bogues, he was able to dunk the ball. And so there are other people who are short, like me, who've always said, I want to be able to dunk the ball. So now there is this huge league. It's gone viral, and there are thousands of people taking part in it. What they've done is they've lowered the rim from 10 foot to 8.5 foot, and they've started these leagues uh, with high school and college players, people who played in high school and college and want to continue to play, where you can dunk the ball. So there are these great videos online of these stupendous, fantastic dunks from people who are 
are my height, a towering five foot six. The league has become hot. If you go on YouTube, you can see tons of video of of this. There are leagues all over the country now where they've lowered the rim to eight and a half feet. Again, a lot of times it's high school and college stars who, you know, played in those leagues and never made it to the pros but want to continue to play, weren't able to dunk maybe then, now are able to do so. And then some of them are just regular amateurs like me who want to have that great video and play in a league where they can dunk as often as they want. Become huge. So much so that the outgrowth of this league, there's now a dunk basketball camp, which gets about a thousand people uh, over uh, during the summer and in the fall when they run these leagues, where they bring some of the best dunkers in the NBA, some of the most famous ones, and they tell you how they were able to create those dunks that you see uh, in the NBA. And now they can go back to their eight and a half foot league and try it out for themselves. People paying big money for that. So are you going to uh, try and join this uh, you know, short I'm person's try dunking league? See if there's a league in in Jersey City where I am okay. and I would yeah I think about it uh, that's kind of cool I think yeah. that's great I like it too cicadas cicada is it cicada no or no cicada? it's both it's is tomato it, it's John cicada no it's John <laughs> no, cicada it's <laughs> cicadas cicadas are coming back this is the year and it's a double whammy this year. It's really going to be so intense for people in so many states. So you have this brood that comes out every uh, 17 years. And then you have another brood that comes out every 13 years. And every once in a while, and this is one of those years, they all come out at the same time. Oh. And this will be that year. Well, you'll have the brood that's every 13, the brood that's every 17 will show up, and they're going to make just a ton of noise. And here's the states that it'll be really bad in Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, Louisiana, Missouri, Mississippi. I can go on. There's a bunch of states. They emerge every 13 years, usually stick around through mid-June. It's a short life. They're here around four or five months. They're there to find their mates and then go back in and uh, do their thing, and then they come back. <laughs> Out And then the second brood is every 17 years. So you will see these uh, cicadas, cicadas uh, showing up in around March or April or so. It'll get intensely loud in some of these neighborhoods, like so much so that you need to put the noise machine on uh, come June, July. And then they'll go away by the end of the summer. So last time they were here... There were a ton of restaurants that started offering right. these deals where they would make these cicadas, cicadas, and they would uh, put all kinds of spices and stuff like that. So now these restaurants, a number of them around the country, gearing up for this next population. It's free. You just got to find them on the ground. You bring them back to the restaurant. People are eating them fried. People are eating them um, grilled with all kinds of spices and barbecue sauce on. It was relatively popular last time they were around. Well, and they're very plentiful, you know, at a time when uh, there's a supply crisis of supply chain shortage, food shortage. And uh, I, I can understand the, the desire to have a plentiful food source like this. Um, and just to emphasize, these are totally harmless to people. Right, they are. Yeah, so people shouldn't freak out if there's a cicada on them or something. And like they're that. essentially harmless to to wildlife. I mean, to the environment too, like trees and stuff like that. They do feed on, but there's no huge problem when they come out. They're quickly here. They're quickly gone. And uh, a quick search, by the way, for recipes online. I googled this this morning. The- 
ton of recipes. Oh I thought, you know, maybe just a few people were in this, but no, no, there's thousands of recipes out there of what you can do with them. Yeah. Well, I, again, I didn't want you to think I was correcting cicada versus cicada. I was doing the tomato right. tomato it's cicada. thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, it's, it's yeah. cicada, right? I think, I mean, I think they're both <laughs> acceptable, like okay. tomato and tomato. Well, that is really something. You Do you have one more for us? Um, no, 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 no. Okay. No, I couldn't tell if you were going to say something else or if you were uh, done. I mean, no, that's I a lot. Content creation, diapers, yeah. cicadas. That was a lot. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, come on. How much no can you have in one little no, segment here? <laughs> hey, uh, I don't know if you heard any of the discussion about the um, the pizza food court at uh, Auschwitz. Well, my sister-in-law, who's um, Orthodox Jewish, she didn't think it's appropriate that, one, there's a food court at Auschwitz, two, that there's no kosher food, and three, that they serve brick oven pizza. People wow, have been giving weird, yeah. varying views on all three of those things. Where do you come down on that? You know, it's so interesting. My son just came back from there. He was in Europe. And oh, really? And went and saw Auschwitz. Did he mention this at he all? He did mention that there was a gift shop, and he thought that was a little odd. But the thing is, they have to support themselves to keep the museum open. It's mm-hmm. a huge, expansive area, and so I think that's part of it, is you got to sell items. And there are people who show up thinking they they want to take home some sort of token right, from right. Auschwitz. Uh Weird that you would have a food court, considering you would think the majority of people who are coming to see Auschwitz are Jewish, and then a certain percentage of them are kosher. I don't know how you don't have a kosher grill there, but maybe kosher food is hard to come by in that part of Poland. Maybe that's part of the issue. I, I don't know. That's uh, I think that's what Elias was saying. So, so it sounds like you're you're not. Do you think it's a little weird, but you're not Brick up in arms about pizzas, this? Yeah, take that off the menu. Okay, That's right, very odd. Fair. But the food court, you know, people are hungry. It's I don't know. It's, I've never been there. I assume it's not near anything. I, so maybe I haven't either. I haven't either. But and Jews I, like to eat, so you gather them even at a place like Auschwitz. Maybe they want to have a meal. All right. Thank you, Noam. And now you know the rest of the story. All right. Um, hey, a lot to get into tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow, like I was saying, um, we're going to have... Oh, uh, we, I mentioned we're going to have Ambassador Peter Ford here, and we'll get into that. And, uh, hey, you know what Apple is doing? Apple is going to drop the blood oxygen sensor from the flagship Apple Watch models in order to avoid an import ban. Because people were concerned that this was an infringement on someone else's intellectual property. So there's that. All right. I'm going to do 15 seconds of fame coming up in just a little bit. And then, um, you know, a couple people have been sending me letters asking what's going on with their cats. They're still fighting. They're still fighting. We've been, we gave them CBD oil. And they're still fighting. And um, my wife said to me yesterday, "What? at what point do we throw in the towel? At what point do we come to the realization that we're going to have to find another home for Ed? And I said, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, but I hate to lose this cat because he is such a good boy. But it's really not fair to either of them for them to torture one another in perpetuity like this. So it would be the uh, cat fields and macats that we're living with in perpetuity. But I mean, just yesterday, I mean, we'll be on the sofa. I'll be trying to get some work done. Carmine was watching uh, cocoa melon. And then you hear upstairs, these cats are violently going at it with one another. And then one of them will hide under the bed and the other one will wait outside the bed, waiting to pounce on the other one. They go, I just, uh, I feel bad for Prissy because this is her home and I feel bad that she's so disturbed, but I also feel bad for Ed. So uh, we've been using these pheromone things. Now we try the CBD oil. So far, at least, does not seem to be working. Where does it go? I'm not so sure. We'll see. 
All right. Um, hey, Eddie in Babylon has been holding. Eddie, what was your comment? <laughs> Sorry, Frank. I, uh, I'm not shoveling snow in Babylon. Um, I went to Dachau and, uh, well, went to Europe and uh, was trying to decide where to go. I said, well, let's go to uh, Dachau first because, you know, the best will be yet to come then. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a place of reflection, like a cemetery. I could see somewhere to, to eat off the place where, you know, if there was an oven there, it's, it's a better use for an oven, right? Making pizza. You know, well, so what was the place. story at Darkhow? Was there any sort of um, food court or concession stand over there? Uh, not when I went. That was in the 90s. It, gotcha. it wasn't even a, uh, I don't believe it was a fully functioning uh, <clears throat> uh, camp yet. Interesting. All right. Burkow was, and, you know, you had piles of teeth and everything else there, but not the same as Dachau. And I, I gathered some pebbles together. They were new construction pebbles and put them in my pocket and came back and gave them to friends that were Jewish here. It uh, you know, meant a lot. So, yeah, I'm sure. Thanks. I'm sure. Thank, thanks for the show, Frank. It means a lot also. Eddie, thank you. Appreciate you calling. All right, 800-848-9222. We're going to do 15 seconds of fame shortly. Stephen is in Manhattan. Hi, Stephen. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jeff, for taking my call. Frank, I want to call your attention to the first sentence in the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence, which in no uncertain terms says that if people become dissatisfied with their government, they may alter it or abolish it. And I want to know if you think that this is going on in this country. I'd read it. I have it right here. I'm holding my No, hand, no, that's okay. I'm, uh, no, I'm familiar with the uh, Declaration of Independence. You don't need to read it. When you say you want to know if I think this is going on in this country, I'm not sure. Do, yeah. I, do I think the, the people are altering or abolishing their government currently? In, in the United States government, in all governments around the world, there seems to be a lot of movements to change their governments to abolish their governments, you know, people here, certainly there are these people who are uh, moving through the streets, you know, New York City and other cities in the United States want, obviously, to abolish gotcha. Gotcha. this government. Gotcha. Okay, well, uh, it's an interesting question, and yeah. I, I think, look, first of all, I think it has nothing to do with the Declaration of Independence necessarily. For instance, you know, the Declaration of Independence is not a governing document. The Declaration of Independence and every word in it has no authority in any court. There's no laws that come from it or anything like that. Really, what it was was in, uh, for the colonists and revolutionaries and then the newly elect, new, new American citizens, it was a... Um, you know, for lack of a better term, it was propaganda. It was propaganda to make our side, well, again, my ancestors were not in this country at the time, but to make the American side more, their 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 case clearer to the world. As for your broader point, though, about people taking to the streets, not only in the United States, but around the world, I think you have put your finger on what I think is the most fascinating and interesting global movement going on right now. And I think this is what has explained 
the movement around the world towards populism. I think the election of Donald Trump, the rise of Bernie Sanders, the rise of left-wing populists like uh, AOC, the uh, defeat of or you know the uh, the Brexit vote in Great Britain, the election of first Bolsonaro in Brazil and then Lula in Brazil, the election of Maloney in Italy, and the rise of you know Viktor Orban in Hungary, uh, Geert Wilders in uh, the Netherlands, the rise of all these populist entities and populist parties is, in my view, a tremendous—it's a direct rejoinder to the globalists uh, who have supported things like free trade and open borders and moving money around and making money not by making anything or selling anything, but just by moving money around— And I think working class and middle class people are recognizing that they're getting screwed, that they don't benefit from these endless wars and their country participating in these endless wars and borrowing money so that you can, um, you know, that you can fund these wars. I, I, I think that's really the fundamental issue the whole world is facing. And whether it's left wing populism, like in the case of Lula in Brazil whether it's right-wing populism, like in the case of Viktor Orban in Hungary, the people, not the elites, the regular middle-class and working-class people around the world are pretty ticked off. And it's easy to see why. And I think it's going to be fascinating to see how this manifests itself in the coming election. Because I think um, I think there's certainly something to be said for... Trump stoking the flames of American populism. But a lot of the people that call Trump a populist, it's not necessarily in keeping with the tradition of American populism, of folks like William Jennings Bryan, uh, folks like uh, Robert La Follette, and even Theodore Roosevelt. It's a little bit different. Uh, Trump kind of uses the language of populism, but in a lot of ways, he's just as friendly with corporations as, you know, George W. Bush. I do wonder if there's an opportunity for, for lack of a better description, what I'll call centrist populism, the brand of which uh, RFK Jr. seems to be selling. So um, I don't think what you're describing has anything to do with the Declaration of Independence, but I think there is a global discontentment that we are only beginning to see the ramifications of. And, uh, you know, I was here with uh, Freddie Mertz yesterday, and when he was on, I brought to hit this poll to his attention showing that something like 75% of Americans believe their leaders aren't looking out for them, that they don't have the people's best interests at heart. And I think they're right. So, um, but it manifests itself in a lot more ways than just electorally. I think you're seeing in a lot of other ways. Sometimes when we cover a lot of these crazy conspiracy theories, which obviously I like doing, sometimes because they're entertaining, sometimes because they're informative, and we'll go to the root cause of it. I'll ask, why are there so many flat earthers these days? And the people that have looked at this say that maybe there's this, it, some of it has to do with this anti-elitist attitude. And you know, I don't know if that's true. I would love to do a whole show, uh, maybe at least a whole hour on this, the rise of populism around the world, why it's happened and where it's going.
right? Maybe we do an hour with a populist panel and then another hour just uh, taking calls, reacting to it. We'll do that. I'll, I'll work on that. We'll see. All right. 800-848-9222. 15 seconds of fame. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at Midnight with Frank Morano. Thank you to the late, great Andy B for this terrific theme song. Uh, 800-848-9222. If you want to be heard for 15 seconds, now's the time. The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Mark! Sid is a jerk-off. Jerk-off. Mike. Morning, Frank. Nikki Haley proving that her math skills are as weak as... As her knowledge of history, trying to sell us a second place finish. I think she miscounted. Must be some kind of new math. Just keeping the money train rolling. Neil. Ella Mester, thank you for the hand knit sweaters for my grandson. They're absolutely beautiful. Oh, that's nice. I'll have to hear that. Not surprised Ellen's the best. Rusty. Yeah. Rome's burning, and you're talking about selling pizzas in uh, Ashwood. Yeah, you're right. Concentration you camps, not at all, not at all, not at all important, Rusty. You're right. You're right. That is, you're, you're right. I stand corrected. Frankie. Yeah, um, it's a B-O-C-S. Benefactors of civilized society. Population cannot be stopped. Um, uh, pop, you know, it's it's uh, stop these wars and continue to call out for it all over the world. Jay. KFC. That's an American institution. Love it. Robert. Don't vote for Democrats, a.k.a. I lost you there, Robert. All right. Um, that slams the lid on things for today. Back tomorrow with Ambassador Peter Ford and a look at the MLK assassination. Frank Morano, good day. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.